Hello everyone, it's time for me to discuss religious gaslighting. So, I was on Instagram and I was looking at reels that were very much intellectual and I stumbled upon one that talks about religious gaslighting. So I'm going to quote the person without saying the person's Instagram handle because I don't have their permission to say it. I don't even know the person, so that's why. Religious gaslighting. This is not to knock anyone's religion, but if you love the one that you call the creator, wouldn't you want to know the history of your belief system and how it was handed to its prophets? When you love someone or something, do you want to know as much as you can about it? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't that be the same? Isn't the one you call the creator worthy of your curiosity out of love? Most people nowadays would not join an organization without being required to know its history, founders, and mission statement. We really have not been taught to love God, but to fear and blindly follow what a person thought they heard God say that was late that was later edited by politicians. Did you know that is your human right to know the origin of what you believe? God is love and love would never require you to honor in ignorance, but encourages you to study. Worship in spirit and truth is essential. It is insulting to the God that created you to stay willfully misinformed with love. In the words of Malcolm X, you shouldn't join an organization unless you know what it's about. I take it a step further. You shouldn't join Jesus unless you know what he's about. So, I know this reel goes a little fast, but it says, were you told that any historical info or facts outside your holy books is for quote-unquote heathens? Every human has a right to the to know the true history of their God and religion. Ignorance, denial, and cognitive dissonance is a choice. Again, every human has a right to know the true history of their God and their religion. Ignorance, denial, and cognitive dissonance are choices. Were you told not to question certain things that encourage to study only within your holy book? Every human has a right to know the true history of their God or religion. Ignorance, denial, cognitive distance is a choice and say for the last time. Have you ever felt like your religion has missing info or that certain facts don't make sense or register in your spirit? Or that certain facts don't register with your spirit? I'm so glad that I read that because because in reality I was taught all of those things and I made a decision to unlearn 
all of those things. Um, let's do more talking on religious gas life. I think it is wonderful to discuss. So this is redletterchristians.org. This is Stephen Matson, March 5th, 2020. Beware of Christian gaslighting. Okay? Gas gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation and abuse in which seeds of doubt are sown in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. Within Christianity, it can manifest as when people are targeted and spiritually manipulated by pastors, theologians, and churches to question and doubt the very words, actions, and characters of Jesus. When they say question and doubt, they're not saying you can't ever question, can't ever doubt. They're talking about the evils that hypocrisy brings. You say these things about Jesus, but your words are contrary to Jesus, your actions are contrary to Jesus, and your character is contrary to Jesus. That's what they're talking about. And the questions are, would Jesus really help refugees? Would Jesus really help the poor and provide aid to immigrants? Would Jesus really prefer peace? Now, any Christian who values spiritual maturity based upon biblical mandate would, would give a resounding yes to all of those questions. Any Pharisee would say no to all of those questions. For much of American Christendom, it seems the answer is no. When the centrality of loving and following Jesus becomes anything less than the ultimate motivation of the Christian faith, the religion can rationalize almost any evil. Thus, today and throughout history, large segments of the church have spiritualized and moralized xenophobia, racism, sexism, bigotry, abuse, hatred, violence, corruption, and dishonesty to the point where many Christians actually believe these depravities are good and holy things. When this happens, the words and actions and life of Jesus, helping the sick, defending the oppressed, giving generously to those in need, loving your enemies, and doing unto others as you want done to you, become vilified. I take it a step further. Pharisees create disparities. And Pharisees vilify Jesus because according to the Bible, Pharisees saw Jesus as a villain, even though the Bible says he was the son of God and God the flesh. Then it says, according to Jesus, the greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you would yourself. But Christian gaslighting erodes these two commandments. The, dis the diminishment of Jesus' message isn't always obvious. But spiritual leaders can manipulate biblical text, theology, and spiritual practices to no longer be viewed through the lens of trying to follow Jesus, but instead through the lens of trying to obtain carnal power. One's entire religion can be co-opted for an entirely egocentric purpose. 
Victims are shamed, accused of making things up, ignored, slandered, punished, and oppressed, using numerous methods and tactics. This leads to incredible feelings of insecurity, self-doubt, and mistrust. And that violates the biblical mandate of do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. Victor, victims suffering from sex abuse in the church may have pastors tell them it's not that big of a deal, or parishioners say it was probably your fault, or perpetrators claim it was God's will. People who care about immigrants may encounter Christian leaders who are dismissive for the sake of protecting a political ideology. People passionate about helping refugees may experience evangelists who spread misinformation to fearmonger and lie about crime, terrorism, and economic ruin. People with mental health conditions may look for the church to offer spiritual help, only to have someone from the church say to get over it. Church, churches may even spiritualize mental illness and blame it on quote-unquote sin, or proclaim that it's happening because of a lapse in moral character because of a lack of faith. Victims who experience racism and sexism at a church may be told that what they're thinking isn't real or that they should try to be nicer. Leaders may try to cover up or diminish or even deny their experiences. See, this, these are things that cause people to feel like, oh, well, therapies of the devil, counseling is of the demonic realm, psychiatry makes me a child of hell. That's how a lot of house worship make congregants feel. Since spirituality and a sense of belonging are foundational values within Christian communities, they're also used as leverage to threaten victims. A deacon might spew the lie that you'll destroy the lives of your friends and family to a woman thinking about reporting her abuser to the police. An elder might tell a teenager that God calls us to love our enemies and forgive those who wrong us because she wants to report her youth pastor for sexual harassment. A pastor might threaten that we wouldn't be able to afford to pick you up anymore to an elderly couple who hasn't tithed recently but relies on the church for transportation. The danger of Christian gaslighting is that it disguises itself as faith. Mm. I'm basically taking out my whip and I'm flogging the hypocrites. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. Do, do to others. The greatest hallmark of Christian gaslighting is a failure to love others. Denying one of the greatest truths, instead of emulating the sacrificial humility of Jesus, Christian gaslighting protects, promotes, prioritizes the self above all others, while the victim is manipulated to believing that the gaslighter is acting as a faithful follower of Christ. The truth is the truth that we're called to love others, immigrants, refugees, foreigners, political rivals, professional adversaries, becomes a political choice that's rejected because of safety, economic, comfort, political, and even legal objections. The excuses are all wrapped up in spiritual jargon and passed off as Christianity. Much like the manner in which Satan quoted scripture during the attempt to entrap Jesus, gaslighting promotes partial truths and uses the smallest variations 
to complete the most drastic of delusions. For example, Christians can be manipulated to believe that you can only truly follow Christ by only following a particular pastor, church, politician, or party. Through a line of psychological doubt, emotional control, and spiritual abuse, a faith in Jesus can be trumped, pun intended, by partisan allegiances, which can then control and define what their followers believe constitutes as quote-unquote Christianity. See, see, these things also make me think about the fact that many Christians have not fully read the Bible. Many Christians have not fully researched the Bible. Many Christians don't know any of the dogmas, doctrines, historicity, and the mathematics of their faith. They don't know the science when it comes to their faith. They don't know the different the relationship between faith and science. They don't know anything about what scholars have said about the faith. They don't know the difference between scholarship and the Bible. The Christian bubble teaches people it's okay to be willfully ignorant and willfully arrogant. And the Christian bubble teaches people that it is okay to hate people and make it look like you love people, the ones who are different than you in every which way. And then it says, Half-truths and political preferences are one of its greatest symptoms. For example, one could passionately claim to value the life of unborn children, yet simultaneously disregard the lives of millions of refugee and immigrant-born children at the exact same time. To value life only to a certain extent and only for a particular people group. Mm. Mm. That displeases, all oh, that displeases Jesus. They just love to piss Jesus off. Truth, mercy, grace, patience, self-control, justice, honesty, and love are all similarly restricted and frugally administered to those who share like-minded beliefs, practices, and ideals. Love isn't for all others, just particular others. So I'm going to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I'll do for God. So I'll accuse other people of cherry picking, even though I am the cherry picker of all cherry pickers myself. So as Christ, so Christians are supposed to skim read the Bible, but not read the Bible. You only read the Bible to go see. I can quote John three sixteen for faith. I'm a theologian. I don't need to know anything else about the Lord. Mm. Mm. Shit show hot mess. Christian gaslighting pretends to be holy while perpetuating evil. Christian gaslighting was used by Adolf Hitler when he wrote in Miang Pank, 
Hence today I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. Christian gaslighting also condones slavery, segregation, the Ku Klux Klan, also known as the KKK, and continues to defend evil during these modern times. Immigrants are a drain on the economy, refugees are criminals, Muslims are terrorists, and all scientists are atheists. All of these statements are proclaimed as truths by Christians, yet have been proven by data and statistics to be lies, bold-faced lies. Christian gaslighting rejects facts and instead chooses its own quote-unquote facts, alternate facts if you will, by whatever fits its opinions, quote-unquote. Instead of using empirical evidence of, or following Jesus' example, Christian gaslighting creates its own narrative. And this is why quote-unquote Christianity can morph into something entirely anti-Christ. Because, beware, because Christianity employs gaslighting when it prioritizes winning political power over loving others, and when it glorifies politicians instead of wholeheartedly following Jesus, Stephen Matson says, God help us. Ooh. Basically, I've, I've been flogging the meat out of the backs of the hypocrites by joyfully lashing them with my whip. There's more. go amy's journal so this is another christian uh website so you can't say i never use christian websites to talk about how church can be better march 24 2022 of this year what is what religious gaslighting looks like what is gaslighting it's been used so much lately but what is it really Gaslighting, as per dictionary.com, is a form of emotional abuse or psychological manipulation involving distorting the truth in order to confuse or instill doubt in another person to the point they question their sanity or reality. Wow. So let's take that and talk about what religious gaslighting looks like. Because it is a thing. Religious gaslighting will make a person feel that they are less than a Christian if they act on fill in the blank. In this case, a person might question if they are not trusting God to save their marriage, or are they turning their back on their faith if they choose divorce? Mm. See, that, that, that really makes me think that people make older people God. People make old people God. People make all leaders God. And people make cults, cults, C-U-L-T-S, out of everyone and everything. They make cult leaders and cult fathers out of everyone and everything as well. Reading the definition of gaslighting, you can see how a church or church leaders will use their role to confuse a person and doubt their ability to make a decision that is oftentimes critical to their well-being. 
church leaders talk, take this authoritative stance that they know the Bible better than you, and they know what it means to be a better Christian. Religious gaslighting and legalistic Christianity go hand in hand in, in this case for my blog. So many rules insert eye roll, and most of them are not only outdated, but to always make you feel like you're not good enough or worthy enough to accept Christ's love. You will always feel like you're a failing God with legalistic Christianity, and you don't have any power in your life. Mmm. So basically, they have this whole mindset of, well, original sin says I was born a fuck up, so I'm gonna fuck up like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to fuck up as if Jesus can come back at any second. I can't help but to fuck up because I've been fucked up since birth. And there's only so much repentance I can do. There's only so much redemption that I can accept. I'm just a forever fuck up. And I can fuck up my way to heaven. And split the birdie at God. And say I only want your heaven. But I don't want you. Here's five ways that I see religious gaslighting. Use the scripture out of context. Oh, this is one of my favorites. How many times have you heard, God hates divorce? It's in the Bible. My new response to that is, where? Do they know what scripture they are quoting? Probably not. They don't know jack shit about scripture. And Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, by the way. But let's take a look what that scripture really says. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. So guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. So see that's so see that it's not just God hates divorce. It's about men loving their wives and treating them right. Hmm. I actually have to be sensitive to my woman's spouse as a human being? He was a cisgender male? with penises and testicles and I actually have to treat my wife as the godly queen that she is to me and we're supposed to be Christians mm, 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 mm. it's about how God knows how destructive and devastating divorce can be so there's a way to behave in a marriage the scriptures before this verse are a call to faithfulness and honor the covenant of marriage and with God. About why God doesn't want to hear your whining when you're not honoring the covenant. When you're not about why God doesn't want to hear your whining when you're not honoring the covenant. Not God hates divorce, so don't do it. Cherry picking God, cherry picking Jesus, cherry cherry-picking the Holy Spirit, they're cherry-picking the church, and they're cherry-picking every verse in the Bible. Mm. Then it says, ignores abuse and other sins. Nothing angers me more than how many times I hear women stay in abusive marriages because their church or pastor told them to. I personally know women that have been sent back to raging-ass lunatics that are fucking abusive because their pastor told them they can't get divorced. I'm sorry, did God say to stay in a shitty-ass marriage where 
you're motherfucking fearful for your life, or one that is maybe not physically abusive, but emotionally abusive as hell, so your soul is slowing, slowly leaving your body with every demeaning word thrown at you? Is that the behavior that God accepts as godly marriage? In God's mind, that's just a bunch of ungodly shit y'all doing. Why are pastors telling women to stay in situations like that? Yeah. Why the hell would you keep women beaten up and beaten down? What about infidelity? That is a sin. It's in the commandments. Divorce is not. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that sexual morality is a, is a just cause for divorce. But for some reasons, legalistic Christians think it's not enough. We control Jesus. Jesus doesn't dictate to us. And Jesus says, no, I dictate to you and I control you. I run your life. You don't run my life. What about addictions, gambling, perversion, worshiping false gods? Why is the church ignoring the behaviors and sins that lead to a divorce and just so focused on don't get divorced? This is me speaking to believers like, okay, y'all are saying these things are sins, but you're doing these things. Believe one side of the story. Let me tell you about abusers. They know how to play the game. They know how to create a sob story to make themselves either be the victim or like they are really going to change this time. They are classic manipulators and they know what to say and how to behave in front of others so that the true victim looks like a crazy ass person. Churches believe a man when he says in his heart he has changed and he wants to do better by God this time and he will do whatever the fuck it takes to keep his wife. And they do sometimes for a few months anyway while they're still putting on bullshit ass shows. And they do sometimes for a few months anyway while they're still putting on a show. As soon as people stop looking, they usually go right back to their sinful ass ways. It's called the honeymoon phase and it's a really toxic ass cycle. Church leaders should listen to both sides of the story. If a woman tells you that her husband is looking at porn and is affecting their marriage, believe her. Damn it. If a woman tells you that her husband is running around and he made promises before to stop, believe her, goddammit, pun intended. When a woman tells you that her husband is a phony in church with his hands raised up singing hallelujah and she knows she's going to be pushed against the wall because X, Y, and Z, believe her. Jesus believed women, and that's why he had women disciples. And because Jesus believed women, women believed Jesus. Mm. But when a lot of women today don't believe in the church because the church doesn't believe in them. This is why churches need to stop with the quote Christian counseling and direct their people to go to a real licensed therapist. They're too blinded by the legalistic view of the Bible to really help a person who needs 
And I agree. Dismisses medical slash professional help for quote unquote Christian counseling. Why are church leaders so afraid of therapists outside of the church? I've heard so many people say that their pastors have discouraged them from professional counseling because it won't align with what they are preaching, practicing in the church. Oh, that's because they know that what they're preaching is garbage and that they are living, breathing dumpsters themselves. Being raised in a church upbringing like this, I was hesitant and ashamed to go to a real therapist. I remember being ashamed of going to a therapist. I had to read that for emphasis. The dismissive attitude around it made me keep this wall up for way too long when I finally did go. Bob and Susan married church elders are not equipped to help a marriage that is abusive. They are not educated enough to help a spouse of an alcoholic. They do not know how to emotionally and spiritually separate themselves from the couple they are quote-unquote counseling. They will not counsel. They will give their opinion. There's a major difference. Blow off, blows off valid feelings if they don't quote-unquote align with scripture. If you've ever been told this, you know what I mean. I understand when people say to watch your thoughts so they don't control you. Or we have to guide our thinking and not go off of pure emotion. I get that. I really do. And in most cases, I agree. But there's a difference in letting our emotions take too much control and letting ourselves have our feelings. And sometimes our feelings don't align with scripture. The scripture that is being cherry-picked? Ooh. I don't like all the Bible. So I'm going to hypocrite the Bible. I don't even know that the Bible means book in terms of the word. Talk about human disasters. That's what the fuck they are. And so, I'm thankful that I'm really getting into this. Because it's time to talk about it. Because there's so much. Unchristlikeness, so much Pharisaism, so much churchianity, so much lawless Christianity, so much Judaized Christianity, so much legalistic Christianity, so much transactional religion, so much tribal religion, too. Doubts are not our enemies, doubts are our friends. Questions are for us, questions are not against us. Quality claims us, 
while quantity plays games us. And it says, if a church is hyper-focused on divorces and sin and a missing opportunity to hear what someone is truly going through and how they feel about it, sometimes you don't need anyone to fix it. You just want someone to listen and to know that they will support and love you. The word venting comes to mind. Supporting someone doesn't mean you have to agree on everything about their life. Supporting someone doesn't mean you have to agree with every details of their lives. It just means you're going to love them through it. Um, how churches can stop the cycle one. See, I'm talking to believers when I say all this, so no non-believer nor unbeliever is being condemned on earth nor in heaven with what I'm saying. How churches can stop the cycle one, focus on scriptures that point to God's love and grace. Remember, according to the Bible, you're a sinner too. There's scripture that says you you better make sure the plank is out of your eye. But you try to help someone take theirs out. Matthew chapter 7 verse 5. When someone is hurting, the last thing they need is argument and scripture thrown at them. They need to feel love. Bottom line, and as per Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 verse 39, it's the second greatest commandment after loving God. Two, please pay attention and put your focus on the sin that is leading up to divorce, abuse, addictions, and infidelity are far more important to deal with than divorce. It's why I believe there are commandments and divorce is not. Three, listen, I can't say this enough. Listen to all sides. Consider everyone's feelings. Don't take one person's side. Use that one person is the abuser or the manipulator. It could be easy to fall for the tactics. Four, church leaders are not marriage counselors. Therapy is not from the devil. Stop trying to only counsel within your congregation. There's nothing wrong with meeting with someone who is wise counsel from within the congregation, but it should not be a substitute for real counseling. Five, don't try to fix people's feelings with scriptures in the moment at times that i may feel a certain way i need that moment and i go look for scripture to help me with those feelings i need my feelings to be validated before being offered help so yes you have to learn how to be with people dear churches do better This is from Keith Michael, medium.com, Christian Gaslighting, Five Ways the Church Bullies You into Believing Its Lies. Have you ever been sitting in church or reading an article where the pastor or author start to defend their beliefs using psychobabble, maybe even hyperbole? Psychobabble is essentially nonsensical logical fallacies that sound oh so spiritual but in reality, it's just that, illogical nonsense. That's his educated way of saying bullshit. Consider the quote from the below author who shall remain unnamed and their views about how to justify their positions about faith. To preface their rationalizations, 
It doesn't really matter what point of doctrine, dogma, or other critical belief they are or were attempting to apologize, prove, because this lack of reasoning has been used the world over to bully people into believing whatever. Oh, man. Scripture talks about testing the spirits. But because they're not testing the spirits, the spirits are testing them. And these spirits tend to be duplicitous turncoat spirits. So they become those spirits because they choose to keep them untested. Then it says, consider the quote from, okay, some people do not have the mind of Christ that is they're not spiritual, obviously will not understand the gospel for the word of the cross is foolishness those who are lost, but to us who are saved is the power of God. And the Christian who is not Christ-minded has difficulty understanding. This quote is the epitome of Christian gaslighting. The ungodly attempt to bully you with nonsense in an effort to convince you that if you don't agree with their points of doctrine, dogma, belief, you are the one who is insane and not them. If I were to approach a seminary professor or Christian scholar disagreed with and accused them of spiritual infidelity or not being quote-unquote converted or quote-unquote saved in the other such psychobabble, they would laugh at me like I was some kind of illiterate child, idiot. No offense to the children, I love the children. And they would be right to do so. The reality is God never expects anyone to just roll over and accept whatever. The God of creation puts and says, come let us reason together. Christian gaslighting is not reason, it's bullying. So using this above quote and others as an example, let's jump into the top five garbage rationalizations Christians often use to gaslight you into believing nonsense. Number one, the emperor has no clothes fallacy. This is perhaps the biggest Christian gaslighting fallacy of them all. In the story of the emperor has no clothes, a pair of swindlers, charlatans, pretend to be magnificent tailors, convinced the emperor and his ministers that they would deliver a suit of clothing so beautiful and impressive that only the most wise and intelligent of people would be able to see it. The clothing is so beautiful, in fact, that fools and idiots will not see it. I have to tell the truth here, just off the top of my head, there are swindlers, I'm sorry, there are swindlers and charlatans in the church. I repeat, there are swindlers and charlatans in the church. Of course no one wants to be thought of, of course no one wants to be thought a fool. And I have to be honest again, off the top of my head, there are fools and idiots in the church. And so convincing is their story that when trusting these new clothes that in reality do not exist, everyone still compliments the emperor on his beautiful new clothes, even though all they see is the guy standing around in his underwear. Even the emperor himself, who cannot see the clothes, pretends to show them off. He doesn't want to be thought a fool either. The story ends with the emperor in a parade showing off his new, non-existent clothes to the people who all pretend he's wearing a beautiful suit of clothes. Because, well, they don't want to be thought of as fools either. Everyone watches. In hushed murmurs until the charade is ended, with the voice of innocence, a child blurts out, 
The emperor has no clothes. It is at this moment the emperor and the people realize they have been swindled with a lie, but the swindlers are long gone with the money. Sad to say, that reminds me of ATMs in churches. $1,000 gimmicks. You're not passing enough money into the collection plate. So we're going to go around countless times until we get all your money plus extra because we are greedy for the gospel. We are for Jesus. Actually, Satan, but no, 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 we're for Jesus. And in terms of our online giving, we'll ask you to give us more than what you're supposed to. Because that is how we function, which is functioning in dysfunction. And then it says, all of Tarsus uses the same gaslighting psycho babble to bully the ignorant into believing his bogus gospel with. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are lost, but to us who are saved is the power of God. In other words, Paul condemns you to hell for not believing his fake version of the gospel. I say fake verse because the gospel of Jesus and spirit that Paul preached was indeed very different than what the super apostles of Jesus and fake apostles preached. Paul admits to this in his second letter to the Corinthians. I covered this issue thoroughly in the below article, Christianity's Counterfeit Jesus, Part 1. Wow. Yeah, I, I, hmm. Because within the Bible, there are different Gospels, and believers hate to admit it, but it's true. Because if they all preach the same Gospel, then there is no, well, this is how I think. No, all of this is how God thinks. You can't put what you think into it. You have to put what God thinks into it. So Peter has a different Gospel than Paul. Moses had his own version of the gospel through the Mosaic laws. And he did meet Jesus according to the Bible, the transfiguration. Think about it. So whatever bogus point some Christian layperson, leader, pastor, even so-called scholars trying to make, if they cannot make their point with logic and reason, if they have to resort to childish gaslighting to bully you into believing something, don't trust the word that comes out of their mouth. They have likely deluded themselves into believing something that is not true. Hmm. I love thoughts like this because when I read the Bible, I thought to myself, is this Jesus' gospel? Or is it people saying we dictate Jesus' gospel and Jesus can't dictate his own gospel? Jesus is not smart enough nor intellectual enough to do so, so we're going to control this gospel for him? Mm. Number two, Christians have accepted whatever belief since the first century fallacy. No, they haven't. Not all of them. And perhaps not nearly as many as you might expect. This next gaslighting tactic is actually a combination of three logical fallacies. The first is called the bandwagon fallacy, which is basically an attempt at saying that because everyone believes it must be true. The second is called the half-truth fallacy, which is only telling you part of the story and leaving some or most of the rest of the story out so as to paint a very one-sided or biased picture of the events. 
The third part of this gaslighting tactic can be called the temporal or historical fallacy. That is because people have believed whatever for centuries, even millennia, it must be the truth. That's like saying, I believe the earth is flat. None of them are correct. They're all incorrect. The earth is actually round. Scientists have proven that. No book of the Bible is certain more controversial than the book of Hebrews. Even today, modern Christian scholars argue its authenticity and even authority, mostly because the book has an utterly unknown author and therefore lacks any real quote-unquote authority whatsoever other than Christian other than church tradition. Remember, these are scholars who are disciples of Jesus. And even they are not fully convinced that the book of Hebrews is completely God-inspired. Famed Christian pastor Chuck Swindle paints his explanation of Hebrews using the aforementioned gaslighting tactic. He does tell the truth, but then he inserts a distraction to have to lie in order to turn your attention away from the fact that the book is a spurious forgery. Ooh. There's so many forgeries in the Bible. I mean, this is what happens when I research. Everything I was taught about the Bible that was said to be true by the church and the walls of traditional Christianity came tumbling down. Worse than the Jericho wall. <sighs> the author's letter to the Hebrews remained shrouded in mystery. Even early in the church's history, a Christian as Linda's origin had to admit his ignorance of the true author of Hebrews. Several theories regarding the author's identity has been proposed over the years, but all of them contain significant problems. Most of the churches in the eastern part of the Roman Empire believed Paul to have authored the book, leading to its early acceptance into the canon by the churches in those areas, even though Clement of Rome drew much from Hebrews in his late first century letter to the Christians. I'm sorry, ooh, I misspoke. Even though Clement of Rome drew much from Hebrews in his late first century letter to the Corinthian church, many of the Western church pointed away from Paul's source of the book. Authors such as Luke, Barnabas, Apollos, and Clement have considered possibilities. I mean, come on, like, that's why I question the whole, the Bible is flawless and completely divine inspired. How? It, it, a flawless, 100% divinely inspired, divinely debris, 100% uh, divinely breathed book? You would know who all the authors are. There would be no possibilities, because you know, okay, this person wrote this. This person wrote that. This person wrote this. Okay, according to this writer's style, it's this person, that person, this person. And I never liked the fact that none of the Bible books were written by women. They were all written by men. Women are considered the least of these, so there should be more women writers of the Bible than the men. Now, here comes to spend my commentary supply. The unknown authorship of this book should not shake our confidence in its authority. He's telling you what to think. Hebrews makes important theologic contributions to the biblical canon. What he means is that without Hebrews, a lot of our beliefs disappear. It has been drawn upon as sacred scripture since the late first century in Christians, some, but not all of them, 
have for two millennia consistently upheld the divine inspiration and therefore the canonicity of the book of Hebrews. That's from www.insight.org slash resource slash Bible slash general epistles slash Hebrews. I'll just never understand. Um, making the Bible God over God in the form of bibliolatry, which means Bible worship. But we won't worship God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. So the Bible is more upheld than the Holy Trinity. But you're also supposed to be Christians instead of Biblishians. Mm. Again, the fact is the book of Hebrews was added and dropped from various Christian Bible canons up to the 4th century by quote-unquote Christians arguing over its authority and authenticity. Yeah. And you had those who assembled the Bible. They were arguing over authority and authenticity of books. A bunch of men arguing. Keep that in mind. Women who had nothing to do with the assembling of the Bible. Yes, there were more than one Bible portable canon circulation in the first few centuries of the Christian church. Christian factions argued vehemently over which books were and were not of God, including those that assembled the Bible. All the male ones, no female ones. In fact, there was more than one Christian church during the first few centuries of the Common Era. I'm not going to go into all of them, but you can discover who and what these people were believed by reading Dr. Bart Ehrman's um, Lost Christianities. This book is an excellent overview of the, the differing Christian quote-unquote denominations, for lack of a better term, that were in existence before Rome and Constantine more or less destroyed them all and took over Christianity. Yes, Constantine is the god of the church, along with Satan, not the Holy Trinity. A common mechanism for Christian apologists to use was the excuse that quote-unquote Christians were doing this or quote-unquote Christians that believed that during whatever era, and the earlier the better. Like Swindle's errant point or half-truth lie, rather, yes, some pagan Gentile Christians were believing whatever, that doesn't mean these particular quote Christians were right or that they were even following the historical Jesus. You know, the one of Nazareth? That man. To bring Swindle's words into the light of the full truth, we need to observe that some pagan Roman Catholic Christians have upheld the divine inspiration of the, of the canonicity of Hebrews, while other Christians did not consider the book divinely inspired at all, but a spurious work of fiction. The Bible does have fictional parts. It's terrifying for me to say it because I grew up with all the traditional Christian beliefs and hung on to them very tightly as an adult. I went in the other direction. This is 100% truth people like Swindle do not want you knowing. Keep in mind that the victors rewrite the history to suit themselves. That happened with the Bible? Sure enough did. Also keep in mind that Luther wanted to junk the book of Hebrews for the very same reasons these other early church factions wanted to junk it. Its unknown authorship made the book utterly suspect and unreliable without any authority of a known apostle. 
While it is suspect that Hebrews is indeed written by someone in Paul's group, perhaps even Paul himself, what the book of Hebrews does illustrate that Jewish factions of Christians more rejected the tone, while the more pagan Gentile factions more accepted it. This one factoid alone should give a serious pause about what, what really happened during the latter first to fourth centuries of Christianity. Someone or someone's were lying their pants off. The crude way of saying it, someone or someone's were lying their asses off. Who were they and why? See, now you understand why my doubts and questions make sense. Because I decided, let me educate myself about what I clearly don't understand. I have all of these deep-seated questions that have not been answered. And I need to actually work on getting those questions dealt with. So I decided, okay, I'm going to be doing just that. And so I researched and researched and researched and I just had to be honest and say what I was taught is just not true. Do I like saying it? No. Part of me wishes I was wrong because I grew up, but not true. And my child self is actually grieving because it's not true. Number three, you can't question God fallacy. This is perhaps one of my favorite gaslighting tactics to nuke because once you do, you leave the gaslight with a drop jaw. This fallacy is made up of a couple of other fallacies. <coughs> Excuse me. All these logical fallacies are making me cough. This fallacy is made up of a couple of other fallacies known as the appeal to authority fallacy, along with the begging the question fallacy, which assumes the truth of the conclusion instead of supporting it. Meaning the gaslight just assumes that their belief, their church, their Bible, and their gospel, even of Jesus, is just automatically the truth of God. This fallacy usually begins with the gaslight as well as the assumption that it was God who founded Christianity and also simply the Bible. They assume that the Bible has formed the basis of the church and it was or has been God has been leading the church since the first century. The way to unravel this illogical line of thinking is to simply invoke the, the history of the Reformation. Show them that the Reformers quote unquote questioned God when they questioned and left the Catholic Church and then they changed the Bible that God had ostensibly assembled by chunking whole books from it. See, this is what happens when humans assemble anything. And when humans do anything, there tends to be erroneous conduct, also known as misbehavior, that's inevitably going to occur. Protestantism in and of itself is the biggest move to the you can't question God tactic there is because the reformers did exactly what the gaslighter says you cannot do. A request is a question. I can question God 
make my displeasure known to God. And because a lot of church leaders do not like to be examined, tested, questioned, confronted, or challenged, their arrogance and their egoism-based pride makes them feel like, how dare you entrap me and corner me? Mm. The facts are God did not assemble the Bible and the church did not rise up because of the Bible. It was the other way around. The Roman Catholic Church existed as a loosely connected group of pagan Gentile Pauline adherents in Rome, not Jerusalem. The early church fathers were quite anti-Semitic. They claimed to follow the Jewish Jesus. They hated Jews and anything even remotely Jewish. Subconsciously, technically, they hate the Jewish Jesus. It doesn't take a rocket science to see this in their writings. What is not well known by many Christians is that by the end of the first century, Paul's brand of Christianity was all but dead. It had been removed, disbanded, disavowed by the super apostles and quotations of Jerusalem. And the only factions left who believed in Paul's brand, Paul's Jesus, were a more Gentile-centric population. It would then be these handful of charlatan interlopers who would fashion a new Christianity based on Paul, not the Jewish Jesus. Using Paul's new Jesus, not God's original Jesus, who was also Jewish. A Mithraic Jesus, based on a pagan god, not based on the supreme being called God, who is into the Jewish Jesus. That Constantine would then elevate to prominence within the Roman Empire. They don't value the elevation and the prominence of the Jewish Jesus. Paul's quote-unquote Jesus, not Jehovah's Jesus, was not the historical Jewish Jesus who preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, in quotations. No, Paul's pagan Jesus would eventually supplant the real Jesus as the church in Rome under Constantine grew in power and authority. See the blue article read about where Paul's Jesus really came from, Christianity's counterfeit Jesus, part two. So the church creates countless versions of Jesus that are untrue because they would rather lie than to be factual. Number four, you're going to hell fallacy. This still often used gaslighting tactic has lost much, if not most, of its relevance in the information age. It's also part of the reason why people are leaving the church in droves, including yours truly, Antonio Myers. People are using this nonsense, I call it bullshit, to declare that LGBTQI plus people are going to hell, people who get divorces are going to hell, people who have sex for marriage are going to hell, Whatever. Bullshit is the harshest way of saying illogical fallacies. Bigotry is its own illogical fallacy if you critically think about it. If your church tells you that you're going to help not believe whenever they say, need to find a better church to belong to or better yet, if you can help it, then you don't really need the building. 
interesting community of people who are excited about actual evidence. The Reformation was built by people who are ostensibly going to hell in quotations, at least that is what the Roman Catholics told them. Luther and Calvin Huston and Jerome all them were quote unquote going to hell, according to the bullies in the Catholic Church. If some gaslighter has to resort to telling you that you're going to hell for not believing what they demand you believe in, they have lost the logical, factual, historical argument. In fact, the point is there's a good chance this gaslight is attempting to get you to believe in one or more lies of the church. Church is good at telling lies, very convincing ones, if you don't know the truth and the facts. I wrote a piece about some of these lies you might want to have a look at. Ten outright lies the church tells to imprison you. Ooh. Ooh, this guy is speaking my logical language. I love this type of thinking. This type of thinking. Fit to the fuck I am. Ah. Healing is good for the body, but more importantly for the soul. Mm. Number five, God says fallacy. Finally, one of the biggest gaslighting fallacies there is comes to us in the form of the obvious straw man fallacy, only in this case, the straw man is God and we're using the straw man against you. In the typical straw man fallacy, someone who cannot argue against your facts essentially tries to put words into your mouth that you never said or actions you never did and then goes against and then argues against something illogical or moronic that you never said or did. This usually takes the form of so why you really so why you really mean is that it's okay to beat your wife? I, can't, I cannot believe you would beat your wife. That's just terrible. No one should ever be allowed to beat their wives. Meanwhile, quote-unquote, wife beating was never, ever part of the initial conversation. With the God says fallacy, the gaslight uses the Bible to put words into the mouth of God to use against you. Only God never, ever said whatever the gaslighter says God said. The words are in the Bible, but God never said them. Ooh. Did I just offend the traditionists? I joyfully did. I excitedly did. I euphorically did. The gaslighter just assumes that because the words they quote in the The gaslighter just assumes that because the words they quote in the Bible, because they assume the Bible to be God's word, it's okay to put words into the mouth of God using whatever passage in the Bible they want. More often than not, these words will be coming from Paul. Just Paul. Little more than what Paul says. In fact, Paul has the quote new covenant power to even contradict and override the actual words of God via the prophets. As the church people say, the prophets of old. Just because Paul says something within one of his apostles does not mean those are the words, feelings, thoughts, and commands of God. Hmm, that is true for multiple Bible writers as well. In fact, Paul never once quotes God via the prophets, not that I've not that I found anyway. Paul quotes Torah, but only to disavow or push it into a context that does not belong. Paul does not speak for God. So when some gaslighter says God says all scripture is God breathed, no, God did not say that. Paul did. And Paul wrote those words a century before the Roman Catholic Church would adopt his own letters into their canon of scripture, what we call the Bible. 
Yes, different denominations have different numbers of books in the Bible. 79 for the Catholic Church. 66 for the Protestant Church. Mm. The point being, God speaking via the prophet Jeremiah contradicts Paul. All scripture is not godly because God says the scribes and elders meddled with the law with their lying pen. See Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 8. So much for the bogus man-made belief of sola scriptura. God says it's not true. Conclusion, there are a boatload more gaslighting fallacies Christians used to believe. But I think looking at these bigger ones, you will get the idea across. Just because someone says they are a Christian and that they are quote-unquote saved, quote-unquote converted, quote-unquote spirit-led, quote-unquote blood-soaked ill, or, or whatever, does not mean that they know the heart and mind of God. In fact, the next time in a conversation with some uber-Christian who thinks they, they know all this know about God, asking this question, what is God's name? You'll be stunned to discover they don't know. A few Christians do, but you will if you read the below article. I am God. Why Christianity does not know the name of God. Thanks for reading. Keith Michael is a Christian author and lay scholar who has spent nearly 40 years within various Christian churches. He is the author and contributor of numerous Christian books, including False Witness, How the Christian Church for the Foundation of Lies. Man, this, this, this guy is just fantastic. So thankful I read his words because now you have a better understanding of why I am a naturally secular person. 100% in each and every area of my life.